1: This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers.
2: We felt really good about it. I mean, the last few games, I think we've really gotten back to the way that we, we like to play and to the level that we're capable of playing uh, as, as a group. Um, that didn't influence necessarily today. You could have said, well, we're playing so good right now. Maybe we don't make an acquisition, but um, we really like this team and I know there's a few teams that obviously have a chance of doing something special, but we feel like our chances are better now than they were uh, yesterday. Ron Hextall better be right about that,
0: and he better be right about Ricard Raquel. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Busted bracket got you down. Bet Rivers has a pick-me-up for tonight's game. Not only can you get an NBA profit boost for a live in-game bet, Bet Rivers also offers a special bet-and-get When you place a wager of $25 or more on Atlanta versus New York, you get a $10 free bet on Denver versus the L.A. Clippers. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Make your Tuesday night basketball bets with Bet Rivers. Presented by Rivers Casino. Pittsburgh must be 21. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ricard Raquel, plus 170 to score tonight for the Pens. I love it. Isn't it always the case when a guy gets traded for, he scores that first game out? It feels like it. Just to show it to his old team. Yeah, get me on Ricard Raquel at plus 170 to score tonight in his first game as a Pittsburgh Penguin after coming on board from the Anaheim Ducks. This kind of feels like an over game tonight as well to me at six and a half. In the last four games, the Blue Jackets have been at nine, nine, and ten three times out of those games. The Pens, conversely, have been keeping it low. They've been under six and a half, four straight. I say they're due to bust out. New acquisition, first home game back in a while. Lots of enthusiasm in the building. That pays at minus 118. I'm in there. Better than the minus 345 spread, minus 139 on the goal and a half puck line for the Pens too, by the way. I think over is the best bet of that bunch. I'm looking at about five to three or five to two Penguins in this one against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Maybe 4-3 to three with an overtime game winner from Ricard Raquel. If you just want to bet straight up that the Pens will win, I suggest getting a parlay partner like the Flames, for instance, over the Sharks at minus 345. Makes sense to me. Everything else, I believe, is a really close game and too tight to call. Uh, the Rangers on the road maybe against the Devils. If you lean in that direction, that could be another one. Futures-wise, the Penguins are currently 7th in Stanley Cup odds at plus 1600. That's tied with Vegas behind Colorado at 400, Florida at 600, Calgary at 750, Carolina at plus 800, then the Lightning at plus 850 in Toronto at plus 1200, the Pens and Vegas Golden Knights next in 7th when it comes to odds for the Stanley Cup and we're looking at plus 1600 again like I said, but the Lightning man at plus 850 Boy, that is good stuff on the Tampa Bay Lightning looking for a three-peat. I'll take that real good money on them right now when it comes to potentially buying low and getting top-notch results. As for the Penguins, they better make some hay while they can because following the Columbus Blue Jackets, they've got a game Wednesday against the Buffalo Sabres too. Both of those upcoming opponents get four points while you can. It'll be a luxury the Penguins won't have very often. When it comes to their list of foes over the next three weeks, if at all, once the Pens get through Columbus at home on Tuesday and the Sabres on the road Wednesday, they find themselves entering a brutal stretch of nine games, eight of them between March 25th and April the 10th are against teams currently in a playoff position, so if you're going to play the Pens, play them tonight and tomorrow, and then be very judicious because they've got a lot of tough games coming up. The lone exception, the lone hole in this nine-game stretch probably will be the Red Wings, They have just 57 points, have lost seven of their past eight games, currently sitting in fifth in the Atlantic division. That's Sunday at home against Detroit. Aside from them and the other eight games of that nine-game slog, the Penguins play two against the Rangers March 25th at home, March 29th away, and against the Colorado Avalanche on April 5th at home, April 2nd away. They got showdowns against the Minnesota Wild March the 31st away the Capitals April 9th at home and the Predators April 10th at home. The Avalanche 95 points to lead the NHL. The Rangers 85 points tie them with the Penguins for second place in the Metro Division. Washington occupies the second wild card slot in the East with 80 points. The Wild and Predators currently tied for second in the Central Division with 78 points apiece, so potentially gobbling up three or four more points after nabbing two from the Central Division cellar-dwelling Arizona Coyotes on Sunday would be a nice, efficient run for the Penguins in advance of that gauntlet, but it won't be as easy as the standings suggest. Yes, Max Domi gone for the Blue Jackets, but they have just 67 points, fifth in the Metro, now they've won four of five, just like the Penguins. Three of those victories coming against teams currently in a playoff position within the Western Conference. The Blues, they beat them five to four. Vegas, they beat them six to four. Minnesota, three to two in a shootout. Buffalo, similar situation, only fifty-two points. The Sabres are sixth in the Atlantic, but they're also enjoying a good stretch of play where they've won four times in five tries. Don Granado's team is kind of doing so by allowing very few goals. In those four wins, the Sabres have yielded just six goals, beating the likes of Vegas, the Maple Leafs, and the Flames along the way. Again, three clubs currently holding playoff seeds. It's not like the Penguins aren't battle-tested in that regard. They are. Mike Sullivan's team just concluded a stretch that saw 10 showdowns against potential playoff-bound clubs between February the 17th and March the 17th. So whatever favor the schedule-makers may have done for the Pens early in the season they are definitely paying back now. Raquel better fit in and fit in quickly because he's about to get a heaping mouthful of what the Penguins have been dealing with for a month, and he's being looked upon as a key contributor who could help the Penguins surf their way through another asteroid field before entering the playoff orbit that they'll be jumping into for yet another spin around the sun since 2007. Every year, the Penguins have been in the postseason since then, However, the last three, they have yet to win a playoff series, and that's why Raquel is here. Make no doubt about it. I think Penguins fans and media identify a big-name trade target to improve the club for a playoff run, usually around the holidays. The rumors bubble until about mid-February. The intensity builds until the Penguins get their guy in March. And it's been with mixed results. You know, Marion Hossa, great when they got him, all the way through the playoffs, almost won the cup. Bill Guerin, Great, they won the Cup. Aginla, it was a successful run of the regular season through the first two rounds of the playoffs, then not at all. Derek Brassard, a bust. Jason Zucker, a bust, just to name a few. Of course, occasionally, we've seen early acquisitions too, like Chris Kunitz and Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz and James Neal. But this year, anticipations seem to be tamped down by reality. The Penguins were pressed up against the salary cap. The NHL roster isn't caked with enough talent that it could sustain multiple subtractions in player-for-player swaps, and the prospect pipeline and the draft pick pool have been cold in recent years, so given those circumstances, Ron Hextall's acquisition of Raquel and Nathan Beaulieu, like... Jeff Carter last year, probably about as much as the Penguins general manager could have done, and then Carter, of course, reaped much greater rewards than what was anticipated going into the trade deadline, where he wasn't talked about nearly as much as some of those other players I mentioned at the outset. I mean, while the applause in Pittsburgh, celebration in the streets for Raquel, a sense that the Pens have now positioned themselves for a lengthy postseason run through the Eastern Conference, no, but a sense of mission accomplished, yeah. Bearing in mind, the mission wasn't tasked to be as weighty and demanding as it had been at times under Ray Shiro and Jim Rutherford. In many of those years, the organization frequently felt as if it was on the cusp of another Stanley Cup if one specific player could fill one specific void to put them over the top. In 2022, no such player seemed attainable, but no such blemish seemed more glaring than others that this team may have to its overall complexion. However, Hextall identified some shortcomings, questionable grit on defense, and the absence of a middle six winger capable of scoring and hopefully talent enough to play on the beginning Malkin's line. While you, currently on injured reserve, LTIR, he brings toughness in the blue line at 6'2", 200 pounds. Here's Hextall talking about him.
2: He plays a real hard game, um, physical you know, boxing out and things. So we felt like he was a good, a good fit with our group. Um, and again, the the physical, rugged nature that he plays with is what certainly would attract us to him.
0: And without a ton of affordable second-line worthy wingers available in the trade market, Raquel's name was peripherally tied to the Penguins for what felt like a third year in a row. Now he's finally wearing black and gold. Of course, getting the 28-year-old Swede might have seemed flashier a few years ago. He posted back-to-back seasons, 33 and 34 goals in 2017 and 18. Since then, he's only totaled 58 in nearly four seasons. Perhaps the 16 he has scored this year is an indication that he could find that previous form once he starts skating, presumably in a line with Evgeny Malkin. And Ron Hextall also talked about acquiring Raquel and how essential
2: he deemed it to be or not. Typically, um, when you go into a deadline, you feel like you really have to make a deal or you don't necessarily have to make a deal. And quite frankly, I didn't feel like we had to make a deal, and no, no neither did anybody on our, on our staff up there. Um, but if we can improve the team, we certainly owe it to our players and, and the organization.
0: Now, don't let Hextall's soft sell tone fool you there. This wasn't a luxury move. Getting a forward capable of scoring on Malkin's line was an absolute necessity, even if the cost of Zach aston reese Dominic Simone, and a second-round draft choice, along with the greatest goalie name of all time, Callie Clang, even if that price seems steep, this is a deal the Penguins absolutely needed to make. If Raquel works out, his presence as a potential scoring winger for Malkin allows the top line of Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby and Brian Russ to stay together. It also allows Jeff Carter to permanently slot back in as a center on a third or fourth line if Zucker returns from injury in good form to be Malkin's second winger. Most importantly, Raquel should aid Malkin so that Malkin doesn't feel the onus of needing to do all the heavy lifting for his line in five-on-five situations. You know, when I talk trade deadline, normally if I'm writing a column or I'm doing a show like the headline or the catchphrase, the hyperbole naturally oozes. Penguins win deadline day. Penn's GM whiffs at deadline. Pens get their man. Big Fish gets away from Penguins. Not so much in 2022. That's the way this season has gone for the Penguins, though. Hasn't it? It's kind of been reflective, right? Much more good than bad. Rarely too high or too low. Expectations are evident, but also tethered by realistic challenges presented by the roster's construction and cap concerns and a talented, balanced Eastern Conference. Sure, more could have been done. A healthy right-handed version of Bull could have been nice, and acquiring him on the left side, to me, almost indicated that they would have preferred to go for a bigger player-for-player deal involving Marcus Pedersen or POJ, and it just didn't happen. For now, though, the Penguins got better in at least one key area of need, even if the headlines don't have the usual crackle. And even if the guy who made the headlines happen and Ron Hextall isn't willing to admit it. But this is a bigger deal than what Hextall is making it sound like for two reasons. First and foremost, because the conversation leading up to the trade deadline was, we don't need to make all that big of a move. So he doesn't want to make it sound like he's going against everything that he and Brian Burke had said going into the trade deadline. And secondly, he doesn't want to make it look like Ricard Raquel is some cure-all or some lightning bolt like, you know, Marion Hossa was when he was acquired or what Derek Brassard was supposed to be when he got here and flamed out, or Jerome Ginla, for that matter. In both cases, that's probably wise for Hextall to do. All right, we come back. Our weekly chat with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He'll talk to us about the Pens and their game tonight against the Blue Jackets, as well as the acquisition of Ricard Raquel and what that means for the Penguins. That's next year on the Pittsburgh CityCast. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Must be 21. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. And 1-800-522-4700 in Nevada. Quick football notes to give you before we get into more hockey talk with Brian Metzer, the Penguins radio network, Indianapolis Colts odds on to win the AFC South Matt Ryan going there to replace Carson Wentz plus 115 a shade in front of the Titans still give me the Titans at plus 120 then a large gap to Jacksonville and Houston plus 650 and plus 2500 for the Houston Texans. Meanwhile, movement in the NFC South, the Saints plus 500, knowing that Jameis is coming back after the knee injury, the Falcons at plus 900 after they get rid of Matt Ryan and replace him with Marcus Mariota, the Panthers at plus 900, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at minus 265 to be the NFC South champs. And with Brady coming back, that still looks like good money to me, even though it's negative odds right now for the Bucs. Kenny Pickett at Pitt's Pro Day yesterday. His hands now eight and five-eighths. They actually grew an eighth of an inch since the combine. Who knew? I guess the Bobby Brady routine is working out nicely when it comes to the hand stretches for Kenny Pickett. One other pick guy who showed out well, Damari Mathis, the defensive back, 43.5-inch vertical jump and 11 feet one inch on the broad jump. Both his vertical jump and the broad jump at the Pro Day would have been tested Best out of all cornerbacks at the Combine with those numbers. That's where he also recorded an impressive 4.39 40-yard dash. So maybe he sneaks in as a draft choice on day two or three with some of those numbers. All right, let's get back to hockey with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. More hockey talk coming with Metz as we look at the Penguins game against the Blue Jackets tonight and the acquisition of Ricard Raquel yesterday. The mayhem that was the NHL trade deadline actually brought in some players to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nathan Beaulieu, the Jets defenseman for a conditional seventh-round pick. Ricard Raquel from the Anaheim Ducks for Dominic Simone. Zach aston reese a 2022 second-round draft choice. And the greatest goalie to never play in the NHL, at least in terms of his name, Kali Klang, the (laughs) Swedish draft choice from the Pittsburgh Penguins now going back out to Anaheim. So Mets, what do we make of these two moves? And when are they both going to be able to help the team? Because I know that Bolu is on LTIR and Raquel is injured too, right?
1: He is injured in some way, but Hextall said in his availability this afternoon, uh, that he thinks he could be here and able to play on on Tuesday night. So Okay, well, there you go. Yes, so we'll see if that's the case. But as far as Boyou, I don't think he'll be available to play for quite some time. They got him for essentially nothing because it's a conditional seventh rounder, as you said, but the seventh round condition essentially says that the Penguins have to win multiple playoff series. I think get to uh, get to a conference championship, and he has to have played in over half of the games. So I'm not sure that that's going to happen. So they've got him for nothing. He is a guy, though, that they like his physicality and, and like what he brings in, in that regard. He can be a physical presence, but he's rated not very well in terms of all of the, the analytics, et cetera. People were kind of ripping on that. But it's really just a depth acquisition to give them another NHL body if they would need one. And I doubt he would have to be forced into action until – sometime down the line when the rosters expand anyway. So right now his his money didn't even affect either team's cap. But I, I think we could see Raquel as soon as tomorrow, and that's good news because I want to see where he fits in. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that he plays with Evgeny Malkin, per se. Uh, that's where we'd like to see him. I know he's more of a left wing, so he could go right in there, and then you throw someone on the other side. My question is, whenever Jason Zucker is healthy, I would have assumed that they would have tried to have those three guys on one line who plays on the left and who plays on the right. Raquel supposedly can play either wing, but he typically played left with the Ducks.
0: Exactly. And how do we feel about putting
1: Zucker on the right then? Um, In the past, I haven't loved it. And I think that it's going to be something we play by ear. But the good news is there is a ton of options for Mike Sullivan at this point. Because there were there were a ton of options before with the forward depth whenever Dominic Simone and Zach Aston Reese were here. But taking those two guys out, putting Raquel in, you open up the window now for players like Drew O'Connor to come into play in your bottom six. You have Pustin in who can come back into play. You have the war Horna, uh redeems a Horna who can come into, into play here in this roster. And when I was writing up lines earlier today, Tim, I almost left Evan Rodriguez and Kasperi Kapanen out. There's a lot of people that are kind of shocked that, you know, I don't automatically include Rodriguez in my top six, but my top six right now is going to be Jake, Sid, Rust, with some form of Zucker, Gino, Raquel, a third line probably of Hein and Carter, McGinn, with Bluger playing with some form of the players that are left. So there's going to be some odd men out, but the good news is you have and you can still plug and play in your top six or bottom six. Evan Rodriguez can do the same. Erod can also play center or wing as can Carter. So Mike Sullivan is going to have his bag of tricks. He'll shake it. He'll dump it onto a table and try and put his lines together whenever the time comes. But I would say tomorrow you'll see Raquel probably slide in with Gino on the left side. And, and we'll see how that works out when Zucker finally gets himself healthy.
0: So they got a guy who's not real big in the analytics community in Bull U, and they got rid of two analytics darlings in
1: Zach Gaston Reese and Simone, huh? Well, yeah. And you know, I mean, Czar is such a great analytics guy that if you just looked at his his statistics, you'd say, man, he's great. Well, he just scored his first goal in 35 games the other night, and he has 2-52. in Dominic Simone is much in the same boat. He plays a very similar style where, yes, he he creates shots and he drives possession and all of this, but never known for his offensive ability. So it things to lose them. The biggest thing with Czar for me, Tim, is he led this team in hits with 187. So that's something that, Uh, you know, by far led the team in that, in that category uh, and specifically among forwards. So that's something that I think, you know, you will lose, but I think a lot of times though, it's not as if they were bone jarring hits. He throws himself around a lot. And whenever he's on the four check and, and doing those kinds of things, but I don't think those were 187 hits that were making the opposition say, Oh boy, this team's coming hard and heavy at us on the other end of it though. He was third among all the forwards on this team with 32 block shots. And to offset that Raquel has 32 block shots of his own. So, and those straight, very tangible statistics that we can track, uh, they're, the, those are the numbers I'm concerned with. But I, I don't think I'm too concerned with the analytic part of Vastin uh, Reese or Simone moving on because the rest of this team is pretty well. If you look at the Penguins' uh, fancy statistics in general, specifically over the last 10 or 12 games, they've really carried play most of the nights, these last handful of games against those Western Conference teams, Penguins were well over 60% in their Corsi, their Fenwick, their expected goal total, and of course in the uh, high-danger scoring chances, they were almost 2-1 to one in a couple of those games. So losing those two guys who don't really score, I don't think it's going to hurt them based on the way the rest of the team plays. I agree. I don't know how much Raquel's going to help. Well, I like the fact that he, he I has mean, some I, finishing I know,
0: touch. Yeah, I know that they got a guy that's specifically the kind of player they targeted and this is a guy and this is the kind of guy that I wanted to see them try to get a winger who is at least second line capable. I don't know how much more they could have done. I had low expectations coming into the trade deadline. This is as high as my expectations probably went, but I still don't know how excited it makes me because I mean, I know this match, they've been linked to Ricard Raquel for what three years now and they finally got him so it's just unfortunately now he's
1: three years removed or so from that last 30 goal season right yeah he scored 34 all the way back in 17-18 and the year before that was 33 now one thing to keep in mind is the Ducks have I mean I know they kind of surprised some people this year with the way that they played I would say from about the 17-18 season their team's been going in the other direction and he slid up their lineup and became more of a focal point scorer. So he was the guy that was drawing the tougher assignments night in and night out. And, you know, while he was in positions to be maybe more of the guy offensively, it was harder on him. Plus he didn't have quite the same talent around him. They've been moving guys on this year. He spent some time playing with Trevor Zegras, which is a good spot for a guy to be in. And he has 16 goals in 51 games, which, is his best total since he scored 18 and 69 games back in the 18 19 season. Joining the Penguins now with uh, what, you know, 20 ish games left or so for him to play here. I think he'll have a chance to put up, you know, maybe six, seven goals playing with Evgeny Malkin or whoever. He'll probably get power play time. I believe he was over two minutes a game for power play time on ice with the Anaheim Ducks. The thing that really needs to pick up for him, if you look at the years that he had 33 and 34 goals, His shooting percentages those years were 18.6 and 14.7. Ever since, the shooting percentage has gone way down. He's had a lot of shots, but he's just not getting rewarded. He's had a 9.2 shooting percentage, an 8.1, a 6.3. And then now this season, he's jumped back up to an 11.8. So I would say if he's going to score on 11.8 of his shots with the Penguins, that would be a pretty good spot for him to be in, specifically with not being a focal point scorer. He doesn't have to be the man. It's almost like Phil Kessel coming in. He can just play his game now, not look over his shoulder, not draw all the tough assignments, because that's going to be Sidney Crosby. The center on his line, if it is Evgeny Malkin or somebody, they're going to draw those assignments. And I think he also could, if you needed him to, jump down and play with Jeff Carter in a third-line situation. So, again, it just gives options. But I think the ceiling's higher with the Penguins for Raquel than it was with the Anaheim Ducks, specifically this version of the Anaheim Ducks that he was playing on. What's this mean for Bluger and who he plays with? that's the uh, another funny question when i was drawing up lines here tim because we all know what he did with zach aston reese and brock mcginn well one of those components is gone they they went to anaheim in this trade so he has been playing over the last week with brian boyle on the left wing for him with zahorna on the right or somebody else now zahorna was reassigned today i think mainly in a paper transaction because ahl players had who are going to be available for the playoffs had to have been on an AHL roster by 3 p.m. on Monday afternoon. If not, they weren't eligible. So they wanted Zahorna to be eligible there. He wasn't sent away. He was still skating in Pittsburgh after that transaction occurred. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him playing uh, whenever the Penguins take the ice on Tuesday night, probably again on a line with potentially Boyle and Bluger. Now, I don't know that you want Teddy Bluger, who is one of your best defensive forwards, to be limited to fourth-line minutes. So I think the way Mike Sullivan has to work this is – Figure a way to get that fourth line playing upwards of 11 to 12, maybe 13 minutes, which you could do if you were rolling them along, uh, just go in line over line over line. But you don't want to cut too heavily into your big guys uh, numbers either, because Sid and Gino obviously want to play 18 to 20 minutes a night. But if you can find that even medium to keep Bluger on a fourth line with Brian Boyle, I think those two together could be OK. But you still have the, the components that I'm trying to figure a way to stick in here because I have Heinen with McGinn playing with Carter. So is that how it's going to go? I'm not sure till we see a morning skate on Tuesday. But looking at it, I think you could get away with that, have Bluger be out there killing penalties for you still, just effectively as he always has. But if they de- if they determine that they want to put Kapanen or Evan Rodriguez in the top nine, that's going to knock some bodies to that fourth line that Bluger can play with. But down the middle, I'm pretty convinced you're going to see Sid Gino-Carter with Bluger uh, as your fourth-line center, probably with Boyle down there, and maybe they even throw Evan Rodriguez on the right side if Zahorna doesn't play.
0: Right. I just don't want to see Kapanen in a role where defense is his main thing. You know
1: what I mean? No, because he's not going to do it. Yeah, he won't thrive there. And, I mean, he's not thriving in the top six. I know he scored a goal the other night, but I, I personally was a little surprised to see him here after the deadline today. I thought they would have found someone to take him for a draft pick just to open up some salary cap space for themselves. But that just tells me they still have enough affection for him as a player and believe that what they've seen the last two games when he started to look a little bit better, they think maybe he can continue to trend in the right direction and give them yet another score on top of the top six guys, on top of Zucker when he's healthy, and on top of um, Raquel who just came in. That if you can get Kasperi Kapanen going, and chipping in from time to time, even in a bottom six role, that gives you a little bit something there. I just don't know that he's going to thrive, and that's what scares me. I hope this doesn't mean that he's going to jump right back up and play in your top six, and Raquel, who we all think is going to be with Gino, is then relegated to a third-line role playing with Jeff Carter.
0: Something's got to work because they can't go into the playoffs with everybody
1: focusing all their defensive attention on that top line. You're exactly right. I mean, and I think that's why they did this because, truth be told, If you have Sid and Jake as a tandem and you have Gino and Zucker or Gino and Raquel, that's a tandem. So you have to figure out who you want to plug in for me. I'm still going to keep rust with Sid. However, you could keep rust with Gino because in the last game I thought they looked pretty good. uh, And you had Evan Rodriguez with Sid and Jake. Now Jake, Sid and Rodriguez were still producing uh, shots and scoring opportunities. So you can get away with that. And then Carter's line I think they've been decent. They've been, you know, producing some shots on goal and getting some scoring opportunities. So as long as you have two or three lines, and in this case, three lines with a potential score on a fourth line, you have to keep the other team a little bit more honest by doing that. So I think that does take the pressure off of Sid a little in terms of defensive shadows, et cetera. They're going to have to start thinking about, okay, we got to watch Gino's line. He's got to a sniping type player with him. And Carter could potentially be uh, a shooter on his own line, depending on which line line mates they give him. If he has Kasperi in there and they get him going, that's a kid that can score goals. So you get back to looking like the Penguins when they were winning Stanley cups, where they did have the potential for goals to be scored by any of the top three lines with a strong four check and maybe some timely scoring from a fourth line. So they have the players to be able to make that happen. It's just finding the right mix, as you just mentioned. you got you got to find a good combination on each one of those lines, but I do think they have the personnel now to get Sid's line freed up more than they have been recently.
0: Raquel goes almost 6'2", 195 to 200 pounds. Is he a net front guy at all, though?
1: Um, I think he can be. He's always been, you know, playing in the West, I think everyone plays that style a little bit more than you would if you were in the Eastern Conference. You've got to be able to go to the net. You've got to be able to score some, some dirtier goals. And I, I haven't watched a ton of video on him recently. I mean, I've seen some ducks games just to watch Trevor egress play and some of those other younger players there just to see how they were doing. But, you know, I, I, do recall him scoring some goals in tight. And I think that he can do that here. Maybe he can be that kind of body on the power play because right now, what, what's kind of stood out. And I've, I've heard Borky talk about this on our broadcasts a whole lot. Jake Gensel tries to play in front of the net, either on the power play or even at five on five, but he doesn't get in the shooting lane. He kind of steps aside of the shot and waits for a rebound to do something with it. They need somebody who's not afraid to maybe get a shot, hit him in the backside or um, get a stick on it and deflect it a little bit. And maybe Raquel could be that kind of guy. He has the body type for it. I, I think I do recall him doing that on occasion with the Anaheim Ducks. And as I said, I think out there in the west you have to play that way a little bit more just because they're bigger bodies, you're fighting for more ice space, etc. So, I'll be very curious to see how he fits in and if he can be a net front guy for this team because he still plays with speed and pace though. I mean, this is a guy that can move and I think that's a good thing because you have somebody that can go and if he is with Gino, play that style that Gino likes to with the the east west, you know, improvising all of that. But Raquel can still go straight ahead and get into a corner, free up a puck, get it out to Gino, and then go to the net to try and finish off something that Gino does. So he brings a lot of different things to the table, which is, which is good news. And I'm trying to look for a tweet here that I saw just a little bit earlier. Here it is, uh, that Megan Chaika, who um, is a big-time analytics person, she said the strength of Raquel is getting to scoring areas, offense off the rush, shoot-first tendency, and then very good at supporting the puck. Uh, in in different positions on the ice. And then he was 25th in shots off the rush, which is, um, that's among all forwards. So those things sound like things that work with Mike Sullivan's system, and I hope he can get a little net front stuff mixed in with that speed game and skill game. What about Bull U? When they got him,
0: I thought it was a precursor to moving one of the left-handed defensemen in a bigger move like Pedersen or POJ. Instead, they just got another left-handed defenseman. I thought if they got another guy, would be a right-hander.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you there, Tim, that I was a little shocked by that aspect of it, which I, to me, again, I, I think it was just in their minds, a guy that is known for a little bit of physicality, specifically in front of the net, that if he can get healthy and get himself in, uh, he can help him there. But uh, he still seems like he is a little bit of a ways away. He's definitely on long-term IR they would probably not stir him in till down the line. And the thing for me is we were all looking at a depth defenseman here that could play. Well, I think that Mark Friedman with what he's done over the last couple of weeks kind of changed their thinking of making it a huge priority because he's been able to go out and draw penalties. He's been able to be kind of an SOB type player that gets under the opponent's skin. He can um, just, you know, agitate out there. I don't know if he's running his mouth or what it is, but he does something to to get under the skin of the opponent. Plus he's looked pretty darn good defensively, which is something he did not do in a very short cup of coffee last season or earlier this year. Something changed. I don't know when the the switch flipped, but he uh, kind of emerging gets himself a two-year contract extension uh, a little bit later last week. And here he is looking like a guy that's going to be in the Penguins top six, at least for the time being. And then it allows you to get this boy, you ready, get him healthy. And then when he is, you have another option for Mike Sullivan to just choose to put in. But I was a a little surprised there. Like you were, Tim, I thought maybe they were going to look to make a move. Um, A lot of people did whenever it broke on Monday morning, but it never came to pass. And it makes me wonder if they were still in conversation with the Vancouver Canucks. There was a whole lot of rumor there that Jim Rutherford was chasing after John Marino, I know some people from Vancouver that I, I know and follow that I've known for a really long time. They were kind of laughing saying, well, I guess Brock Besser is going to get his qualifying offer. Now and we can break that down because they were convinced they'd be talking about uh, Rutherford getting John Marino in, in some sort of deal, either be it for Besser or for somebody else. And it didn't come to pass. So I guess that this version of the Penguins management team still has a little bit of love for Marino that maybe we thought would have been stronger over on the JR side. Other teams make a move to the deadline. What were your takeaways from
0: the rest of the National Hockey League in deals that were done? In other words, what Florida did to bolster themselves, what the Minnesota Wild did in picking up Marc-Andre Fleury, the Seattle Kraken team building with Penguin draft pick cast-offs like (laughs) Daniel Sprong and Derek Pouliot. Impressions in those areas and
1: others, Mets. Uh, I would say the the biggest things would be the two you mentioned right at the start there with Florida getting Claude Giroux uh, to me, and they've got Ben Chirot the other night too. So they remind me though, Tim, and I'm curious where you fall on this, of the 2013 Penguins. They kind of went out and said, well, just because we can, we're going to acquire just about everything we can get our hands on here. Because if you recall, the 2013 Pens were rolling right along. They were lighting the world on fire. They had an unbeaten, I think they went undefeated in the month of January that year, uh, and they looked like world burners in every possible way. Then Ray Shiro brings in um, Jerome McGinley, Brendan Morrow, the crankshaft, and then at the deadline still brings in U.C. Yokinen. He could have gotten away with probably just bringing in U.C. Yokinen and been fine because Yokinen ended up being the most valuable of those three anyway at the end of that season and moving into future years. They kind of got disrupted by adding all those new faces. I want to see how Florida deals with Giroux, Sherat, a couple other things they did under the radar before that. It just seemed like they were requiring everything to block others from getting players. And sometimes that's not the best approach. So, I yeah, they're going to be better. I think Giroux probably going to slot in with um, Barkov on their top line. It sounds like they're going to make him a left winger for Barkov. And Giroux really excited about it. So we'll see how that works, but uh, I, I'm concerned for them in that way. I do like Mark Andre Fleury going to Minnesota just because that was probably one area of concern for Bill Guerin. I'm sure he worked the phones pretty hard to sell Mark on Minnesota. It's a good defensive hockey team. They can score a lot more than they ever did in the past. It seems like they are primed to make a run. They are going to have all of the cap issues that are going to pop up moving into next year because of the Parisi and Suter buyouts. Uh, that's going to start to hit their cap. So this was their their parting salvo if you will to to move in and try and make some noise this season so i think he can really solidify the goaltending position for them and they must believe that he is gonna maybe even hang around for a year or two which i don't know that he will for sure but they traded their big goaltending prospect to the sharks right after acquiring mark andre Fleury. so i was a little bit surprised by that and again he gets himself into a weird tandem with cam talbot now so the only thing that that stood out to me tim is uh Flurry Talbot doesn't have the same rhyme or, or ring as Murray Flurry did at the Stanley Cup parade here in Pittsburgh. So I'm not sure they'll be able to get away with with a Talbot Flurry chant. But then again, they don't have Saggy to get it going for them either. So uh, I don't know how that's going to play. Um, a couple other things that well, let me that let I, me let me
0: jump in before we go back. All right, because yeah, yeah. Go ahead. While, while your thought was out there, because I disagree with the 2013 Penguins analogy, and I always disagree with the narrative of Making it sound like that season was doom and gloom after the trade deadline, because if you looked at what the Penguins did after the trade deadline, because we always look at, oh, they acquired all these guys and it came off the rails. They lost twice after March the second. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> like it, they were right. phenomenal. Sorry, I take that back. They lost twice after March the second. They lost uh, four times total after March the second. Like that was their that was their streak going into the postseason, and they went two rounds deep. So, like, the the notion of, oh, boy, they screwed this up because they're going to be like the 2013 Penguins, I'd take that. <laughs> you know, like, after seeing what the Penguins have done the last couple of years, we, we act like that was such a gloom and doom thing. They just ran into the Bruins. That's all. They ran into the Bruins, and, and things went off the rails,
1: but they only did in the Eastern Conference Finals. I completely agree with that. I, I would take what they did that year. My issue is that, you you had to have known, as Ray Shiro, before you made the acquisitions, that Sidney Crosby and your head coach had different ideas about how Jerome McGinley was going to be used. So, like, why go out and get him? Because you took a Hall of Fame right winger and played him on the left wing and essentially marginalized him to a point that you forgot he was on the team half of the time. And, and yes, they were still so good down the stretch in the regular season, but my point is, you could have done that still without making that trade and giving up the assets it took you to get like that, that started the whole narrative of the penguins giving up the farm for guys just to give up the farm to get, to get these guys. So I was super impressed with what they did. I'm not impressed with them scoring just two goals in a conference final against Boston. And who knows, maybe they did score more than two goals against Boston. Had they used Jerome again, appropriately in a top six role with Sidney Crosby on the right wing, or even on the second line on the right wing, they had to kind of, pigeonhole him in sometimes on a third line roll in the left wing and it just you took this guy and completely left a sour taste in everyone's mouth now we won't get into the fact that a couple of the players that were acquired at that trade deadline clearly used that as an opportunity to take a vacation from their families and have some fun in downtown Pittsburgh so that may have had as much with derailing them as anything else in the playoffs too. Uh,
0: I, no comment not that I would know anything <laughs> about that uh, what else <laughs> so I cut you off before Matts. So what else were you looking at besides Minnesota and uh, Florida
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how Justin Braun works with the Rangers. They went out and got him. He was somebody that they thought the Penguins would have some interest in. But for me, I'm I'm curious to see how that's going to work, because he isn't good against speedy forwards. If you're playing in the East and you have to go up against or I mean, um, Carolina, the Penguins, the Rangers, etc., it's a group of speedy forwards. The Penguins were a very speedy team when they played the San Jose Sharks in the Stanley Cup final. Justin Braun was embarrassed by them uh, in that Yeah, I series. thought he was awful. Yeah, So, I mean, I think that's going to happen again. But I was kind of intrigued that they went out and got him. I like the fact that um, – what was the other one I was really intrigued by? Colorado getting themselves Andrew Cogliano as a depth guy. That's intriguing to me because they needed some toughness. He can do that. Johan Larson going to the Caps. Uh, I think that helps them a little bit. They went back out and got Johansson again, too, who was their old forward. They got him from Seattle. They only got rid of him originally because they had to sign Kuznetsov, and now he's back. He probably played the best hockey of his career there, so you get another depth forward for yourself in that trade. Um, Just scanning the other ones here because the... Oh, yeah, you know what? I didn't really like that one as much, though. I I liked it in that it blocked the Penguins from getting him because he he was rumored to come here, and I think he's terrible. I, he's good at blocking shots and he's tough, but he wasn't good with the flyers. I thought he wasn't good with Buffalo. And uh, so I was happy to see him move on and not become a Pittsburgh penguin. Um, what's another one here, Tim. There were so many today, everything. And it was all at the last minute. We were waiting for them to come. Anybody down. else not moving besides the Vancouver guys. Oh, here's one that actually stood out to me too. Jeremy Lausanne going to Nashville. If you wanted a good young depth defenseman, That was a guy I had uh, my eye on just because I thought that he could be, he's tough. He can hit he's physical. He was in Boston before he was lost in the expansion draft to the Kraken. And that's the guy that now the Nashville predators have, and they always find ways to have those kinds of players. Nick Paul going to Tampa was also uh, a nice get for them with Matthew Joseph, who was a, a pretty good, tough piece to the puzzle on their third line. He went to Ottawa in that trade. So, Uh, Those are another one. Oh, and one other big name yesterday that we weren't talking about. Yeah. When you mentioned Hag, he went to uh, Florida, too. That was just yet another name going there. But Giordano to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was a big one. They also got Colin Blackwell, which both of those players should help them. I just don't know, you know, how that's going to work, because you have a lot of similar type defensemen there. Giordano was usually an offensive guy. I'll just be curious to see how that one's going to work out. Tell long before Derek Broussard gets traded back here again? <laughs> well, hey, he, the whole transition's beginning. He just went to Edmonton, so that's where he was, wasn't he, whenever the Penguins got him? No, he went. He got, came from uh, Ottawa. Ottawa, yeah, but... yeah, He went from Edmonton at some point, but he's back in Edmonton now. Uh, some Pittsburgh scribe, I'll leave him nameless, was saying he thought that would have been a good get for the Penguins today, and I almost spit out my drink. Oh. Uh, I... I can't, I'm like, did you forget what happened when he was here before? Uh, that was probably one of the worst uh, situations I've ever seen happen. We, I've ne- I can't think of another guy that I was more excited to get and then more disappointed by almost immediately. Mets, thanks.
0: Appreciate it as always. We will catch up next week and uh, we'll see how Ricard Raquel
1: does in his first couple games as a Penguin. I'm looking forward to it, Tim. Hopefully we're talking about a uh, like a four-goal week when we reconvene next Monday or Tuesday. All right, so my thanks
0: to Brian Metzer, the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Still to come this week, our wrap-up of free agency with Matt Williamson and Mike Pursuta looking at the lines for the NCAA tournament as we get to the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. That's still to come right here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.